ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Thank you guys for tuning in. Most of you uh, who are most of the faithful followers know what this is. It's the lab that has transitioned on the black and blue. Uh, you know, we, we used to have people on the show where we talked about businesses, products, and positive messages. Now we focus on African-American police officers and their experiences throughout the course of their career, whether they are rookies, whether they're seasoned, or whether they are retired, all right? So this is your opportunity to hear stories from a different side, a, a different point of view, and also for you to ask your questions. Uh, we got a special guest in the lab. Some of you may know him, some of you may not, but I'll introduce him here in a minute. Uh, right now we're streaming on uh, Facebook, two pages. We're on Coach Cleve, we are on Black and Blue. We are on LinkedIn under Cleve Tillman. We are on YouTube. We are on uh, YouTube twice under Black and Blue and the Cleve Tillman page. Make sure you guys check those out. Subscribe. Make sure you guys follow the content. We got a lot of good interviews that are coming in, uh, down the pipeline. We got some to, a good one tonight, and we have some that we already took that took care of um, a couple months ago. Uh, we took a two week hiatus. I'm just getting back from vacation. Just getting back from uh, a friend of mine's wedding. It's been a nice long run of hanging out, exciting, relaxing, and peacefulness, you guys know. Make sure you guys check out the website. It's scrolling below. It is workwithclean.com, and one of our sponsors is on that website as well, One Way Publishing. So if you ever had the desire of writing a book, you know One Way Publishing can get it done for you. They can take a mere thought and turn it into a book that's bought. So make sure you guys check that out, all right? We also have a couple books. One of the books that was published by me, let me guys show you. I gotta show you. You know, I gotta get the sponsors out there. You know, I gotta go ahead and show. Let me show guys show you this commercial here make sure that we, we're living in a world where a lot of people are holding grudges where a lot of people are angry and les brown said it best if you hold on to a grudge it's like holding on to a hot piece of coal and expecting the person you're mad at to feel the effects when really you need to just let that thing go and start the healing process just check this out quick and we'll be right back
some things got to get out the way uh without any further ado i need you guys to hit the like button hit the share button subscribe i'm glad you guys are tuning in we got a special guest you already see the names jermaine harris he's a sergeant with the chicago police department he's been sergeant in law enforcement for 19 years he's also been in the united states marine corps where i kind of talked to him briefly backstage where he was in for four years and that taught him a world of leadership that he would not have gotten without going through the, the service itself uh ladies and gentlemen drop some ones in the comments section drop some ones i'm gonna bring them to the stage right now jermaine are you here hey clee how's it going brother thank you so much for having me absolutely thank you for being available i'm excited to have you here on black and blue we're gonna have a, a wonderful discussion uh but first and foremost can you tell us a little bit about yourself all right so again you jermaine harris i'm a sergeant with chicago police department 19 years on the job so working in chicago you know big city an mm -hmm. urban city a lot of challenges a lot of uh concerns around you know just making our community safer which is one of the main reasons why i love doing this job so much so i'm here working in the same community i grew up in having an opportunity to patrol those streets i ran and and and, and had fun as a kid and, and and got into some trouble but uh now being on you know being on a pot in a way to positively impact my community so it's a great job dream job i really love doing it appreciate you appreciate you having me absolutely absolutely and I know, uh, likewise, um, I know we kind of know briefly about our backstories. The uh, department I work for, I ran the same streets as well. Uh, to be a public servant in a community where you grew up and you got to see people come and go, you got to see people uh, uh, grow up and mature, and you got to see some other negative things that happen to other people too. And, and it feel, it's a good feeling to actually give back. So I understand what you're, what you're saying. How long did you want to be a police officer? Oh, Man, so, you know, growing up on the west side of Chicago, you know, in this space, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. So I'm, you know, Generation mm -hmm. X during that time. So we also know what was going on in urban cities, right? Crack epidemic. So a mm -hmm. lot of these issues and the things around relationships with police, I had never had a positive interaction, a positive encounter. So being a police officer was the last thing that was on my mind. So actually, I'm a little bit of an artist. I, you know, I, I, I dabble in the arts a little bit. And so going through high school, it was actually my dream. It was to be an architect. Um, okay. So, but I, but I learned like just during that time, like, you know, passion is so important. I was good at it, but I didn't love it. Like I couldn't see myself every single day, you know, doing, doing that type of work. So I really needed something to, to, to be able to expose what that passion was to me. And so I know your dad was a big part of you, right. And, and, and kind of getting you where you wanted to be. So my dad offered up some advice. He was like, Hey, you know, check out the Marines, right? Help you help get you some direction. So he kind of he, he kind of gave me that guidance. I didn't know what I was getting into. You know, I might I saw a couple movies, didn't know what was happening. Uh -huh. um, but, I, but I got out there, and you know, it was a huge shock. But I think one of the most important things I really learned um, was I found that passion, right? I love that idea. Like everybody else running one way, I'm going into the danger. I'm standing up to bullies, you know, mm -hmm. being able to defend, you know, my family, being able to defend my home was something I fell in love with. And that really kind of planted that seed into doing this type of work. So I kind of owe that to owe that to my dad, like just kind of kind of planting that thing into me. And so really, and even still, you know, getting out of the Marine Corps, still wasn't <laughs> thinking about policing, um, but I'm home. And just a crazy story about just how life sets you on these different paths. And sometimes, you know, God has a plan for you that you, you may not see. And so in the Marine Corps, I worked on around aircraft. And okay. so my goal was like, I was going to come back home, work at our major airport, you know, 
you know, being out there on, you know, doing all this work, mechanic stuff, being this hotshot kid on the on the runway. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but my last day in the Marine Corps was one of the most significant days in history of America. Oh, really? Um, I was in California, set to fly back home on Tuesday, September 11, 2001. Wow. That was my last day in the Marine. And so really what happened with that situation was, you know, working in the airline, working around planes, like that was not going to happen. If we remember the industry during that time, it was decimated. And so I had to come up with another idea, like another job or something to be able to do. And guess who shows up again with a good idea? Good old dad, right? <laughs> He's like, hey, see, Chicago police are hiring. But still, I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm all right. I'm good. Uh, so he even goes to the point, man, where he says, hey, I'll pay your fee for you. This guy. So my dad pays my, my application fee. And I go through the process. And one of the, the, the things that's really a challenge today, but it worked mm-hmm. out for me because I didn't know what I wanted to do. But right. it hurts a lot of, a lot of especially African-American officers now, is that the process is so long. It like, is a it long process. Me, right? It was good for me because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So it mm-hmm. gave me time to think through. And it gave me some, you know, some time to get to that point. But everybody ain't got a year to wait for a job, right? Yeah. Especially, you know, people in our communities and our income levels. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know things worked out for me and you know that long process uh, I was working at a job that I thought was going to be you know my thing and you know and right before you know towards the end about one year I'm back at home this is now September of about 2002 now mm-hmm. and you know I'm working this good job I'm all right I'm you know I'm not really worrying about the police and I'm going through the process but not serious about it right and so I get a call from the manager man at the at the space I'm working for he called me in the office like hey Jermaine sit down you know what's about to happen right He's like, hey, we got to let you go. So it's like, oh, man, I was a complete bro. I was about to get married in a couple oh. weeks. I had a brand new car. I had a kid on the way. Like all of these things I had going well, on. All those factors against you right there. Yeah. This guy just yanked the rug from underneath me. So, you know, then to top that off, you know, I'm riding home. Traffic's bad. We come to a standstill. I'm in my brand new car I just bought, right? With this mm-hmm. job. And somebody rear ends me and just smashed the car. So it's like, oh, man. Worst day of my life, man. Could have been one of the worst days of my life, right? And just thinking about all the things that could go wrong. Mm-hmm. But I tell you, out of that, you know, one of the next things I did was go back home, shuffle through the drawer to find that phone number to the, you know, to the investigator that was working on my application. Uh-huh. So now my story was, you know, I wanted to be a police officer my whole life. This is the greatest <laughs> job ever. Like, it's, I'm giving all of it, man. I'm giving them everything. See, the truth um, comes but, 19 I, years later, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and I, and, and it, I, mean, I tell you, and it worked out. So this is September. You know, I worked out, did the final phases in December of that year, December of 02. I started a police academy. And I tell you, okay. if, you know, it was one of those decisions, like looking backwards, mm-hmm. 10 out of 10 times, I would pick, I would pick, make that decision to join this job because it's just been an amazing opportunity every single day. Like, you know, you understand every single day we can change somebody's life for the mm-hmm. better every single day. Like not many jobs you can do that type of work. I think that's God's work too. So I'm, I'm just very fortunate enough that he put me in that path and got me in this seat today. Appreciate mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So I, I know I've told uh, my story on this platform before and they're probably tired of hearing it, but can you explain just a little bit about the process of actually going through from the application on to warrior, uh, at least for, for me to being actually sworn in in uniform. Can you explain the process of that about how long it takes potentially? Okay. Yeah, so back when I did it, you know, this is almost 20 years ago. So the mm-hmm. system has been updated somewhat, right? <laughs> to kind of be somewhat, somewhat. Uh-huh. 
because it's a process because you, you look like a large department like Chicago. We're the second largest department in the country. Okay. We've got over 12,000 officers that work for CPD. We're behind New York. They're like 30 something thousand. It's like yeah. a whole city. It's like a city, man. Yeah, and then yeah. LA's behind us. And I think they're around 8,000 or so. But so we're the okay. second largest um, department. And so in that, you know, so it, during that, that means we get a lot of applications. So it's like mm -hmm. a process of how do you go through that enormous thousands of applications? So a lot of it was really around how do you kind of weed out and eliminate people through the process? Yeah. So it was designed for elimination. Right. So you kind of so I took a written test at the beginning of the year. This is around January or so of 2002. Mm -hmm. I took a written test. And again, it's just the kind of that basic way of kind of eliminating some people to go to the next mm -hmm. phase. Then you follow that up the next month, right? After you get your store with, with a, a physical run test, fitness test, right? Again, it's another way to kind of eliminate applicants to go through the process. And, mm -hmm. and those are, I guess, when you look at it from a cost saving perspective, you know, those are some of the things that aren't as expensive to do, right? Because right. you, because now when you started getting into the medical clearance, now as doctors involved, yeah, yeah. you start doing the background checks, that's an investigator that has to work on you. So it kind of goes through those processes and then the polygraph tests again, right? These yeah. are just processes that they want to kind of get through um, yep. to kind of narrow it down to the, you know, to the top candidates, applicants. And mm -hmm. so in that process, again, this is a month, you know, next step, maybe a month, a month and a half, the next step, right? So as you go through, you know, five, six steps, that's, that adds up quickly, right? Um, yes, into yes. a year so from that standpoint of taking that test in January and not starting the job until December of that year you know that's a long time to wait man and and if you don't have that luxury of being able to have a job already or have some sort of stable income you might not be able to wait a year for this job and I think because of that issue we lose a lot of qualified applicants especially from officers of color um, mm -hmm. just because of that barrier and that issue and you know they did a our inspector general's office um, did a study on our our, our our hiring practices in Chicago and really mm -hmm. found that that was a major issue. And one of those things that came out of that report, man, I talked to people about it, was that as much of the narrative that we hear about police and black communities, we think black people don't want to be police. But in Chicago, the highest represented demographic who applied to be police officers turned out to be black. Wow. And I'm like, what? Wow. I would have never guessed that. But what happens is that during that process, the different issues, the different systemic issues, the, mm -hmm. the subjective nature of background checks, a lot of those, those end up dwelling us down until mm -hmm. once we go into the police academy, we go from the highest to the lowest. Right. And that becomes just one of those systemic issues that really we have to start to address um, as we start to look for ways to get more blacks involved. But it's no different than our history, right? When we study black people, we know, like you can go back, civil war, man. You got mm -hmm. people in bondage, slaves fighting for freedom. You mm -hmm. got World War II, you, we can't sit on, on, on the front of the bus, but we flying planes over Germany, saving troops butts. Like yeah. we do this, civil rights, we, we march and getting beat. Like black people have always stood up to answer the call. So it mm -hmm. shouldn't be any surprise that we want to go out and be police to serve our yeah. communities. But it's those those issues and those barriers that get in the way that prevent us right from being able to step into this role of police officers. And I tell you, it's so valuable. My lived experiences, man, is one of the most important things that I take into this job. Um, mm -hmm. To be able to deal with things, to be able to understand like the cultural competency, being able to know when to apply pressure, when to take off, mm -hmm. when to be like, hey, man, come on now. You know, you know, being able to get that look right yeah. to people that, that, you know, that comes from being from the same street. <laughs> but, you know, that's just a valuable tool that you can't learn in school and right. You can't learn in the police academy. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but just like uh, and Bill Duke in uh, Minister Society, that that the one scene, or one of my veteran officers, he used to always do that all the time. Like, you know, you done messed up, right? You know, you done messed up. You know, and it's kind of like wow, it's a, like an unwritten subtlety right there. Like, yeah, you you you're right, you're right. Like, like make this make sense, and, and you yeah. can't. Like, come on, man, you can't. Don't 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 try and throw a, a wall over my face or nothing like that. Yeah. So you discussed the process on um, actually going through uh, your your experiences on being a police uh, officer, um, at least up until this point in being in the uh, military. But what, who, who, or what have your mentors or influences been be are for you thus far uh, to get you this this position right here? And who do you look up to uh, to take you to the next level? Yeah, so it, it, it's in it fits out in like two different spaces, right? I think about it. One is. Um, from the standpoints of being an officer, like mm-hmm. all the sergeants and the frontline supervisors that I had, like just coming up as a you know young rookie going through those years, man, I, it's little parts and pieces from every single person that I take, right, and I'm attached sorry. to, to be able to see, right. So I can remember this is one sergeant who used to work on a desk, like he used to give people the flux, right. But <laughs> this guy always knew his stuff. And it was ever something I needed a question or I needed to be able to have, you know, figure out something. The first person I'm going to was him because the guy was like an encyclopedia, right? And then I had this one female sergeant, man. She was like, she always, like her people skills, her interpersonal, she was always on point to be able to figure things out and stay true and like that courage, right? To be mm-hmm. able to know when something not right, right? To be able to step up for that. But when something's going on, like to be able to, whether it be officer or community, like mm-hmm. those little pieces, right? From the different managed supervisors that I had, I draw drew on that to be able to say, when I'm a sergeant, I want to be like that. I want to be like yeah. him. I want to do those type of things, right? Mm-hmm. So that kind of was one of those ways to like build up this mold of who I am. And then the other is one of the most important, like just sponsors, mentors um, mm-hmm. of my career is he's now the chief. Um, uh, okay. He's a chief here in, in CPD. Um, it's Ernest Cato. His guy he brought me on as a new command. He was promoted to commander right around mm-hmm. the same time I made sergeant. Okay. And so um, he's trying to fill out the different roles in his district. And so he reached out to me um, as a new sergeant to come in and run and manage the community policing office. Okay. So we both like brand new in this space and trying to figure things out. And he brought me in. And I tell you, man, that was some of the greatest times of my life. Like the two of us just innovating things like we got to the point we'd be in sync on stuff he'd be thinking about something and like and then, you know just to be able to be in those and bouncing off each other and i mm-hmm. it was just this great opportunity that he would put me in rooms and bring me to tables let me participate in conversations and sometimes mm-hmm. i'd be the only sergeant there right everybody else is of different ranks but just being able to like have that opportunity to see that mm-hmm. world and get a feel for it and understand it without the pressure right of yeah. being in there to watch <laughs> right and uh-huh. learn. I tell you, it's just like just one of the most valuable people of my entire career. Okay. Um, and just having that time to work with him over these past five years, and it's just helped me get on a whole nother trajectory. And I'm really grateful for that. Well, shout out to him. Yeah, yeah. I can. You, the excitement comes through, and to actually be in spaces that you normally wouldn't be and absorb it all with uh, the least amount of pressure is a good thing. <laughs> And I, you, you kind of segued into the question I was going to ask. You already mentioned that you're a sergeant, and what are your responsibilities? And you said community policing. And h- how tremendous of a job is that to actually be a community police officer in this the same uh, locale that you grew up? Yeah. So one of those things, like community policing, is 
it's it, it's like a buzzword it's a trend thing yeah. right everybody's throwing it out there and putting it out but what happens with buzzes and trends is that everybody don't always know what it means right it's just <laughs> you just throw it out there like community policing mm -hmm. um i think the, the challenge is what we have to understand is to avoid making this into a gimmick where you're just out you know kissing babies and taking pictures and putting uh -huh. stuff on social media the heart of community policing is solving problems like your right. your role is to identify a problem and mm -hmm. solve it like that's your job but you solve it through use of your community-based resources mm -hmm. so you're looking at root cause issues you're looking at really social justice right you're looking at mm -hmm. what are the things that contribute to people being involved in violence or being involved in crime and how do we start to uh, impact those areas and so like really understanding the true nature of what the role is and the job is so what it requires me to do is to like everything that's not policing mm -hmm. i'm working with and so that's the rest of the world right we got one little piece one sector right when it talk about public safety but so much of the pie right goes into that education yeah. health care yeah um community organizing social services mental health like all of these things youth service all of these things go into creating like a whole person and and you know and so that's a lot of spaces that i work in so it's an immense challenge it's a lot to to you know to be able to do but i really enjoy it because in that the relationships and the networks that i'm able to create i think helps me in a different way from a you know an average officer who doesn't have this luxury of meeting so many people is because i now have a tool i have a toolkit that not everybody else has so when a problem occurs i can plug pieces differently than mm -hmm. someone who only knows enforcement or someone who only knows you know you know police police tactics and i think that's that's the fun part that's the enjoyable part of being able to solve problems and start making those pieces fit together oh Oh, and that I think that's a big deal too. To actually know people to have that network, to uh, have that connection with individuals, where you have a go-to person, or you have a, 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 you, a, a website, or whatever kind of information you can get them straight to the source, as opposed to like you said, if you only know enforcement, you know, okay, well, I, I gotta, I gotta call this person, or I gotta get you in line with this. There's about five or six different steps where you can go straight to the source and start solving the problem itself. Yeah, what that's kind of a big deal because. You know, as mm -hmm. an officer, man, you know, one of the things I would do before I learned about this stuff is people would have like issues with their son or their kid and they like he out of control. And only thing I know was like, well, if you arrest them, they can like send them to boot camp. That was all I knew. Like, <laughs> was like, that's all I knew. But it was like, come on, man, why we got to arrest you first before yeah. we can help? It's yeah. other ways that we can keep getting from, you know, especially in our communities, man. We can't keep feeding black black men to the, you know, to the prison system. It's got to mm -hmm. be ways for us to to do things differently. And it's just like learning that through community policing is just one of the most valuable tools. What kind of events have you um, been involved in so far, as far as community events? Some of the, some good or some. I, I know we've been we talked about the riots before. That's really not as far as community policing, but I mean, as far as any positive events, what kind of events have you been been through? Um, yeah. So one of the things, one of the most proud of, I'll, I'll share with you. Mm -hmm. is that with this idea so i have a passion i know you're a coach you know i'm a coach too i have a passion for youth man just working with young people yeah. i think sports the power of sports and what oh, that yeah. does with being able to help learn practice on the field or on the court mm -hmm. lessons that you're going to use in life when the mm -hmm. stakes are different right you miss a shot here you mess up and lose the game but you out on the street these decisions are life and death so i think right. you know for the power of sports really to helps teach young people that and so i was really fortunate to be able to to co-found um a sports program called chicago right. Westside side policing youth sports 
Okay. Um, so what this idea was, you know, just this concept of what happens if, you know, you get police officers um, working with community partners, serving that role as mentorship with kids mm-hmm. through sports. And so we put together and got this league going. It serves uh, all the communities that make up the west side of Chicago. So it covers a pretty large footprint okay. um, in our city here. And so it provides free year round sports programming. And we took this program and in just our fourth, we're in our fourth season right now. We annually serve 1,000 boys and girls in free sports oh, um, wow. with police officers coming out to coach, you know, our faith based leaders coming out to coach, our nonprofits. Mm-hmm. We're out in parks, specifically parks that used to be ran and overrun by gangs. So we mm-hmm. take those spots, we make them safe spaces. Now you got families out there, you got kids out there. It's just bringing the life, you know, mm-hmm. a, a lot of these boys in these areas and communities. And it's really taken off a lot. And we're super proud. We were featured on um, on HBO Sports in a documentary okay. that was Emmy nominated. So I'm Emmy nominated, okay. right? So it's just like, you know, so Big just having people. that opportunity to really catch, uh, um, to, to really show like just that power of sports and what happens when like so much, you know, gets, you know, gets solved and gets worked through through relationships, but you need some way to set that up, right? How do you create a space where we can meet on some type of neutral ground, mm-hmm. common language, especially through sports, right? Everybody knows basics, right? Basketball, football, we all know, regardless of where you come from, we understand the mm-hmm. rules of the game. And that's a great foundation to start mm-hmm. from with common things. And so out of that, you start to get to know each other. And it's just a great feedback. We do surveying with community members and with families after, you know, after the sports. And so again, we're in a community, black community, police relationships, you know, is, is a struggle. And so mm-hmm. what we found out through surveying is just like when people come into the program after just doing one three-month season, two out of three of those people who have a negative outlook on police mm-hmm. change to positive. Just mm-hmm. playing sports for three months yep. and now they got a positive outlook with police. And mm-hmm. that actually also inversely um, helps with the police officer too to start to see the community in a different ways. It's not a 911 call. It's not danger. These kids aren't offenders and they, they're not doing things right that we typically see, but we're seeing real life and we're seeing so much of the beauty and the vibrancy that lives in these communities. And it's just making this holistic kind of transformation. And I'm really excited about just having an opportunity to start up a project like this. Man, you said a lot. You said a lot. And it's very, it's tremendous because it's true. It's 100% true. I mean, especially sports, we're relatable with sports. I'm a, I'm a football guy myself. And I mean, when you, you start talking football I or just by coaching, like I told you, I coached seven years beforehand uh, a few years ago. And you, it's the same communicate. It's the same style. I can relate because I've done it. I can help give you techniques. We want to win the game. Our passion comes through. Boys are boys, men are men. You get that, that fighter, that fight in you that way you want to win. And then you connect. And then after you connect, you can actually have like real life conversations as opposed to, yeah, we want to get a touchdown. However, you you need, you need to you can't be messing up the school because you're not going to stay eligible. And I mean, going to this class is like moving 10 yards. Going to this class, if you get in trouble, it's kind of like getting a five yard penalty and you're hurting the team. And they're like, wow, I never thought about it that way. I'm like, exactly. And then to watch them grow, they see you. They see me as Coach Clee first before they see me as Officer Tillman. And so when they see me out, they're like, what's up, Coach? Still Coach. I'm still Coach. And if something's going on, they're like, hey, Coach Clee, um, I mean, I saw this. This is going on. Like, he, yeah, you need to keep your eye on this. This is what's going on at the parks at this time tonight. Like, 
feel and you develop a relationship and it really helps tremendously helps and you have that passion because it's not a job it, you're not dealing with john q public as people like to say you're actually dealing with people that you know and you're making a, a significant difference in their life yeah it's all relationships that come through that and specifically just lessons from a marine right lessons from military being a coach and a mentor like that's what a supervisor is that's what's needed mm -hmm. right especially in young people we, we talk a lot about you know how this generation and you know these kids are wild and they out of control but you mm -hmm. remember when we were young they said the same thing about us they wild they out of control they out here listening against the rap nwa they wearing they clothes back it was the same conversation right that, mm -hmm. that the older generation were saying about us back then and i think we can't forget that and then do the same thing right to this next generation but in the end right they're young people and they're looking for mentorship one mm -hmm. of the things I do is, um, you know, I do restorative practices, peace circles, just having mm -hmm. those conversations to sit around and had an opportunity to go to the juvenile detention center. Right. It's the mm -hmm. you know, it's where our, our juvenile offenders are housed here. And mm -hmm. we did some peace circles and conversations. And out of that, we were trying to ask them, what do you need to keep from coming back here? Like, what are you looking for? And I tell you, as, as cliche as it sounds, man, the overwhelming response they asked for was a mentor. Because you got to remember, these are kids that are quote unquote bad. So right. they develop a reputation. When people see them, they go the other way. And yeah. so out of that, they miss those adult relationships. They miss being able to go to somebody to help them work through a problem. And so what they do, they turn to their peers who be like, nah, man, let's roll, let's roll on them, right? That ain't yeah. good advice, right? Mm -hmm. But because they don't have the adults there that are willing to invest in them, you know, mm -hmm. they miss out on getting that adult mentorship. Mm -hmm. And I tell you that key of tapping into that, specifically through sports or other ways, like that's the thing that young people need. And we can't get blinded by thinking that this generation is so, like they aliens, like they don't mm -hmm. have these same basic youth development needs of wanting to be that's why they join gangs right they want to be supported they want to be part of a family they want to be celebrated they want somebody to show them how to make money like all of these things they get from the gang because we as adults you know don't want to do and it's just let's give them that instead like let's be the you know the, the, the positive alternative to the stuff that they get from gangs and they'll attach to it they don't want to be a part of it yeah and shout out to dolores taylor she told me to tell you that uh she said simplify we were in the academy together. She's also a uh, former Marine. And Marcel Doc Coleman, my man, we just did that that, thir that thir uh, 60 and 30 run. Shout out to him. This is an eye-opening conversation. Man, Doc. But yes, can you explain to us uh, what, what three three goals you have in this career, if you've already achieved them or if you're still working toward them? And of those goals, what's the most significant goal that you're looking to, uh, uh, that you're striving for? Yeah, so I think the big areas that I work into are just these pillars. Um, one is police reform, right? Being able to do our job um, most equitably that best serves communities, mm -hmm. um, that also promotes public safety, but promotes a good quality of life. So police reform is one of those big things. Okay. Um, Community-based violence prevention, being able to kind of really take this, uh, some people may have heard of this public health approach to violence. Mm -hmm. How do we holistically start to deal with this issue of gun violence that's really destroying and decimating families and communities, specifically mm -hmm. in black communities. And then the other part is, is youth service, man. I love working with young people and just figuring out ways to best serve, you know, that up and coming generation. And so really in that space, I think um, they all kind of work together, right? Mm -hmm. it, just in some way, cause you know, it's weird. We're talking about just the context of how do you promote healthy communities? And often we see that in more affluent neighborhoods, like all of these things we desire to see, 
occurs naturally there, but we somehow expect or believe as if, you know, in our communities, it's not possible, right? Mm -hmm. And so we deny the resources, we deny the investment, we deny the trust, right? And to allow mm -hmm. communities to kind of provide, you know, provide for themselves. And I think that becomes one of those big issues. So just really around this idea of gun violence, I think that's one of the most major issues that's affecting us. And it's, it's hard to find somebody in Chicago that hasn't been affected, right? Either yeah. directly, indirectly, somebody they know, like it's, it's this thing you go into a classroom or a school, and you ask kids to raise their hand, you know, how many know somebody who's been killed? And you're going to see a lot of hands get raised when you're mm -hmm. looking at a city like in Chicago. When you start asking about positive things, like, you know, how many people in your family been to college or how many people you like, all those things, the hands dwindle. So we got to replace that, right? We got to flip that on the on the inverse. And I think really that is working on these root cause issues, specifically through social justice. Sometimes we throw that out there. People throw the mm -hmm. word out there. and It just causes this visceral reaction like, ah, what does that mean? But in the reality, it's about serving those root cause issues. That's social mm -hmm. justice, it's access, and it's opportunity. You provide that to people, humanity will rise to the top, right? We will perform, we have proven it through history. You give somebody a shot, you give somebody a chance, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna um, excel in it. And so mm -hmm. I think that's just one of those issues as I work with different partners, partners and start to think about, okay, we gotta suppress crime, we gotta work with things, you know, we got to go after shooters, of course, but mm -hmm. we only going after shooters. What's stopping the per the next kid from becoming the next shooter? We only looking at the end. We only looking at the, the final result. But we got to go back to the beginning and start preventing this kid from ever picking this gun up in the first place. And I think a lot of those solutions are in these root cause issues around mm -hmm. youth service and just around how we approach public safety. So it's mm -hmm. really a lot of time I spend a bunch of energy just trying to figure out how to get those resources into the hands of people that can use them, that need them the most, that mm -hmm. are most effective with it, and shift some of that power and some of that control away from our current systemic issues and start mm -hmm. and into the hands of people who have the lived experiences, right? People who walk those streets that can most relate. So. Right. That's a very proactive thinking, a, a very proactive approach. And I know uh, it, we, we kind of talked uh, backstage about it a few years ago uh, when, when we the United States was being plagued with all the riots and, and everything was going on everywhere. I know you were involved in a, a few situations. I know I shared a few of my, my situations that I was involved in as well. And, and through the, the, the course of it, you see some like I, I in my I saw people that I knew that when I recognized them, they, they skedaddled. They were then I saw a lot of people who I've never seen before in the area. And we're standing in front of the Capitol with our shields and all. And we, we got spit on, we got water bottles thrown at us. We got glass thrown at us. We had th different things happening all throughout the I forget how long we were there. It felt like forever. But I think we were down there for about six hours or so. Uh, you, you care to share any of your experiences throughout that situation? Or situation yeah. similar to that? Yeah, May, yeah, May of 2020, specifically May 31st, 2020, that Sunday. And I tell you, that was one of those days I'll never forget mm -hmm. um, in my entire career. Um, so we had been getting a few protests, um, you know, following the murder of George Floyd. A lot of things had been going around the country. And so we had some issues with our downtown Chicago. And so the decision was made that they were gonna raise the bridges to keep mm -hmm. protesters from getting downtown. They were just, you know, tearing up things and looting some of the most, ex Michigan Avenue, you know, some of the most expensive stores in the world out there. So the decision was made, like, let's raise the bridges up. And so a lot of 
issues that came around uh, regarding that decision. But what ended up happening is that a lot of those protests then spilled into neighborhoods and into communities. And so that, you know, so I got out that morning. So a little, some issues that happened that night before. So we're out trying to, you know, deal with protests and deal with some, some looting issues that were going on. But out of nowhere, man, it just, a group just descended on us. We were on a spot, a business corridor, you know, and, and again, in a black community business, like typical businesses that you would see, sadly, you know, clothing stores, cell phone shops, hair care, mm -hmm. you know, those type of businesses that, um, that are most common in, you know, within our community, liquor stores, that type of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're in an area that's a business corridor there. And, you know, and a group shows up, you know, just doing a little antagonizing, you know, within the officers, but again, people that I don't recognize, right. That's mm -hmm. not from the neighborhood, not from the community. Cause I'd work on this. I would wreck, I would know who they were, right. If they were from the neighborhood, but again, these people coming in, ran and it, and it's just quickly, like almost at the snap of a finger, you saw a group just rolled up and all of a sudden in the sky is bricks and bottles. I mean, it's something out of, you know, out of a movie, right. When you watch the, the gladiator movies and you see the arrows through the sky yeah, and that's yeah, how bricks yeah. we're looking and it was just it was a rough situation and so we were able to get officers out you know set up skirmish lines set lines up to try and protect those corridors and i tell you we were in this just in this position of just i, I don't know where I, that many bricks and bottles and mm. rocks came from yeah. and i don't know the construction site somebody brought them in i don't know you know so much of this stuff is calculated right somebody oh yeah absolutely the bricks. but it was like man where they get all these bricks from you know, in this situation, a few things happened, man, that was just unbelievable. One of those incidents, while we were out on the line, you know, there was a shooting. Because then, it's still in the community, gang mm -hmm. issues, right? You know, individual gets shot about, you know, maybe 50, 50 feet, 50, 75 feet away from our line. Mm -hmm. And it's so much chaos and it's in an alley. And so now we're in this situation. Reports are coming out. People are yelling, running up to us. Officers, help, help, help. This guy's been mm -hmm. shot. But the bricks wouldn't stop, man. They would not stop throwing bricks and bottles at us until, you know, finally we get the ambulance there. And so, you know, one of the lieutenants, he's like, look, we got to help this guy. So they set up shields again. I got the shields. They got the paramedics. They walk through this blitz of bottles and bricks to get over there and treat this guy who's been bleeding and bleeding out in this alley for far too long. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they get over there and try to treat him. Unfortunately, this guy dies. Man. He dies in that alley. And the bricks still didn't stop. Yeah. Um, so finally, during that day, so much you know mayhem and chaos had taken place, and you started to see so much of just humanity and effects of those type of situations. A couple things happened um, that almost made me cry, man. It was this it was this dad who comes up to the line. Now it's about evening time. We've been out there probably about ten hours or so. This is about seven eight o'clock at night. This dad comes up to the line and he's asking which one of the restaurants or grocery stores are open because he's got kids at home who hadn't eaten that day. And so he's trying to figure out how he's gonna feed his family. Man, I had to turn that guy and send him home to hungry kids because everything was closed or looted or shut down. We had a wow. senior citizen who had been out that morning on the other side of town. And so once the riot and the things that started, they had to shut the bus services down. Mm -hmm. So this elderly lady was trapped on the other side of town and she had walked miles to get back home and she comes up to us and she's like, officer, can you help me? And so now, you know, officers are like, man, I'm not going out there. And so I had to talk to a couple of them and say, look, bro, regardless of what happens out here, regardless of what happens, we still the police. Mm -hmm. She needs help. She needs us. So they get a, I get them in an unmarked van 
and they put the put the um the, the elderly lady in there to take her home to get her safe into her house but it was just like those situations to remind us like what this what this job was and what our community how it was affected by it was just unbelievable and then lastly you know during that time we were standing out there you know i had a lot of community friends and just people who were supporters of us who were black mm-hmm. who came up brought sandwiches brought food mm-hmm. just brought things to the front line to help support the officers and just say thank you you know mm-hmm. for, for trying to protect the community as best as they can and so much played out man and this is one day that started off a series of weeks and weeks and weeks of these of these incidents that were going on and i tell you the one thing that i that i noticed so much about those interactions is that whenever i was at a protest or incident where people from community was there it was always peaceful Hmm. it was always love it was anger it was emotion it was Mm -hmm. a lot of those issues and the things that were happening but it Mm -hmm. was peaceful but when i start seeing people that weren't from communities that specifically weren't from black communities show up it turned angry it turned violent it just turned in a different way and what we really started to see was like so much of our narrative right as a black america gets mm-hmm. captured and taken over and manipulated and twisted in mm-hmm. so many different ways from our story but in the end we've always you know we've always been a peaceful people to demand rights and do we learn from dr king man our hero everybody got some a picture somewhere of dr king in their house his uh, entire non-violent approach is things we aspire to and that's what we model so much of what we do after and i think those messages shows how much can happen you know through that peaceful process and so really embracing that role as an officer my job is to protect that ability right to be able to be in this position today that if dr king was with me me and him would have our hands together we march together and so whenever those opportunities come i'll march with my community we're going to be together and we're going to do these things you know hand in hand in unison because i'm here for that purpose that's my role and that's my responsibility is to protect that and so really during that whole that entire time and it was just such a social just learning a school like on in the field learning about american learning about life that i'll never forget but i really value that experience in that time uh, again, that's a lot, man. That's a lot. He 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 unloaded a lot of real life experience, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I mean, this is this is one hundred percent truthful. This is one hundred percent experience. This is one hundred percent fact. You know, make sure you tag, like, and share. Get get the put a number one in the in the chat room uh, just for uh, him experience his experiences and him being uh, willing to share these experiences. Because not everyone sees this side. Not everyone understands this side. Uh, and a lot I know a lot of people they they watch the protests or riots whatever you want to call them from TV and you had an emotional response just from sitting on your couch. Imagine actually physically being there, standing there, actually in the it was hot. I remember at least here, it, it was at least 95 degrees or above that day. You're in full riot gear. You have people in front of you. you you're, 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 it is a very hostile situation. Uh, you don't know, you, you don't know how it's going to go. You really don't. You're standing there. You're doing your best. You have, I was with, I can only speak for me. I, I was, I was there with a lot of other different departments of guys that I never met before until that day. And then you got, you, you, you're standing there and you know that let's just say for sake of numbers it's 50 guys 50 cops standing in one line and you got maybe a thousand people coming at you the numbers don't add up but but you know you can't retreat you can't go you got you have to stand there and and you got to see america in its rawest form uh you got to see a lot of primal uh uh and emotional raw uh activity that took place yeah yeah 
it was just man that's just one of those those times man and just to have that in modern history to be able to be present for that mm -hmm. and to be able to draw from that and use those experiences and add that to your own lived experiences to be yep. able to go to, to kind of go through i think we learned a lot from just as law enforcement professionals we learned a lot mm -hmm. and especially around this idea around police reform right around you know just the transparency issue how we use force our ability to de-escalate so much has come out of that situation but again within our department that we're currently under a consent decree um and so a lot of the, that those um just those steps to work better within community to improve the way we police have already been underway um mm -hmm. but there's still challenges right within that process because there's a lot of um like tension from police culture for police reform right um, and that kind of plays out in a lot of ways or where we start to see just this idea around reform being a negative, mm -hmm. right? But so much of, if you actually look at the things that are in our consent decree is really around how do we promote officer wellness? How do we promote relationships within communities? How do we do our job better? Like these are good things. Yeah, right? yeah, <laughs> these are yeah. the things we want, promotions, right? <laughs> these are good things, right? Uh -huh. But why are we fighting like resisting? And I think it just becomes a lot of the rhetoric, right? When you start to hear me news media, social media, like a lot of those things that get both the rhetoric and talking points, mm -hmm. we don't really take the time to read and educate ourselves on particular topics. I think it does more harm than good which is why sometimes we end up in the mud and treading water around these reform issues when so much of it is really benefits everybody involved. It really does, yeah. Yeah, and that, which leads me to my, my next question is, um, since at least 2020, uh, since the, the uh, protests slash riots, depends on whatever you want to call it, um, how do you see the, the public treating law enforcement officials uh, and vice versa the other hat? How do you see law enforcement officials treating the public? Do you think it's actually gotten a little bit better or do you think it's a stalemate or do you think it's a little worse? Um, it's, it's one of those two worlds again. Mm -hmm. um, so here's what I here's what I see on the ground. So if I park my car and I get out and walk the street with real life people who mm -hmm. live in the houses in these neighborhoods, it's a totally different relationship. I get it. These yep. are people who are dealing with real life violence, who dealing with the hundreds of people who get murdered in Chicago, the thousands of people who get shot. They mm -hmm. live with that in real life, not on the couch, not on social media, like you said, in real right. life. Those mm -hmm. people. When I show up, it's like, thank you so much and hugs. Don't leave. Like, you gonna stay, right? Let me, let me go. Let me get you some water. Because right? they living with real life consequences. Mm -hmm. The real life consequences of decisions and of policy and politics. Yeah. So that's a different relationship that I have within amongst, I call my people, my neighbor. I, I still live in this neighbor. These, these are my neighbors. Uh -huh. so those are the real life relationships that exist and Whenever I have an issue or feel down or need to recharge, mm -hmm. park that car, get out and walk a block and talk to people. Talk to the old, talk to the moms, the dads, the families, the kids, and the people who have a stake in the game, who suffer the consequences, mm -hmm. and you get a whole different perspective. Then there's the rest of them, everybody else, <laughs> right? That's, that's living in a comfortable life that has the luxury of, of commuting into a situation whenever they feel like it, whenever they want to go online to yeah. be able to pop in and pop out. Yeah. And it's a lot tougher. Um, because they don't deal with the consequences. And that's where the trouble becomes. And that's where I have the most challenges, really working with people who are outside of the real life um, um, relationships. 
And so I think there's a delicate balance between that because sadly, that other part, right, that loud minority versus silent majority, it starts to dictate policy and it starts Mm -hmm. to make choices. It starts to, to compel our politicians to do crazy ideas like defund police. It starts to compel our politicians to do, you know, ideas about removing resources and how we and how we support police. And all that does is hurt people in the black community. It's hurting us, right, in those situations. And so now it's just trying to figure out how we start to get back to a real world um, perspective of people understanding consequences is really what the challenge is. And then out of this too now, because we've skewed so far that the violence is now at levels back when i was a, a, a kid back in the 90s we're seeing homicide totals match like i'm talking the old days colors and all that ice cream yeah. like we match the same type of violence during those times and that shouldn't be in the amount of technology and the advancements we have as a society we should mm-hmm. not be pressing you know 30 years and 40 years down and so now we're in a tough situation where now we're trying to recorrect the system and are we going to go too far right this whole game of going too far in each direction is that now we're starting to hear similar rhetoric like the rhetoric we start to hear in the 90s right that we start to hear early that led to mass incarceration Mm -hmm. now it's like you know we got to lock them up we need longer sentences we need ways to keep them in and it's just who are we talking about we're talking about black communities is that we need to somehow imprison them to create safety when it's not the idea where we need to be supporting young people, we need to providing you know real alternatives to these issues. And so I think a lot of that struggle is coming in of trying to find our balance, balance and yeah. most importantly, finding our voice. And so really to commend you, like setting up platforms like this, Clee, to mm-hmm. be able to provide opportunities for black officers, for people in this profession, to be able to speak out on these things, to help educate the public, right? About mm-hmm. what's really going on and what's really happening from our cultural perspective. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important because platforms like this, you know, typically didn't exist, right? Before, right. And I think becomes one of those things that even comes out of the pandemic, right? Came out of that unrest is that more black officers are now looking for ways to speak up. And I mm-hmm. think our our words and our voices are valuable because we I, we provide a level of competence culturally cultural competence mm-hmm. to this idea of policing that you only get through lived experiences and you only get through being able to walk the walk and right and truly understand what the issues are well said well said can i said it better myself but thank you very much i appreciate that uh and with that also how do you how do you feel that the well we all know the effect on everything that's going on in these past few years um and they kind of have been that have been narrowed into these past few years because it's been going on for a little while longer but you see the applicants the applications have dropped significantly throughout the nation how is it how do you think we can find more qualified applicants younger officers start filling these slots because i mean we're getting older now eventually i i I can't be running over and jumping over cars and fences like i used to i need some young 20 year olds to be able to do this stuff yeah, that's that's one of those tough, tough things that we have to do. And I think one of those ways that we start to appeal and one of those ways we really start to um, help re-energize our profession is providing some authenticity to just what the job is and what our roles are as police. Mm-hmm. And what that requires is individuals with real life experiences sharing their stories like stuff like this platforms like this opportunities 
to be able to sit down, you know, chop it up, have a conversation, you know, mm -hmm. barbershop conversation, whatever it may be, to kind of really talk through because there's you got to demystify, you know, what the job is and and, and what the roles are. Because before, you know, the 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 common things you'd hear just as an honorable profession and it's celebrated and it's easier to kind of want to get into something. But now we're in these situations where it's going to take a lot more inside you to be able to do a job like this. It's going to mm -hmm. tap into that courage, yes. that integrity, that fortitude. Now that starts going to get tapped into. And sometimes we start to recruit based on this, how much money you make mm -hmm. and this, what the benefits are. But we got to start appealing to that inner humanity because those are the people that we're going to need to really get us where we need to be as a profession. So some of these conversations have to be through, like, these are my perspectives. This is how I deal with challenges. Sometimes we might even have to do into it is like me and my mom going to have to, might have to come out and have a conversation. So other moms can be like, how do you deal with your son being like, we got to have real talk, yeah. real conversations. Yeah. And I think that can start to get us into the point to help demystifying the profession and, re and really tapping into just that, that, that fight and that inner desire to create change and that transformation, like all of those things that are inside us. Mm -hmm. um, and we really start have to tap into that and be intentional about figuring out ways to pull that out. Good answer. Good answer. See, I, I don't need you, you. You didn't stole the thunder. I don't know what else I can ask. I'm serious. This is a good interview. This is a, a serious interview. Uh, it's good conversation because, uh, again, not a lot of people here. We we hear these conversations uh, with amongst ourselves, but the, the, the nation doesn't hear these conversations. They don't get this perspective. Uh, and I, I love being a police officer. I wanted to be one since I was four years old. Um, second generation, my dad was. And I think it's necessary. Uh, I think it's it's important because, again, uh, I, I give back to the community in which I grew up and grew up in. And it, it's a wonderful feeling to actually wear like, uh, my, my, my high school daughter on my pack. It's the same thing. It, it's, it's a sense of community. And it's a, a prideful feeling. Yeah, it's absolutely so much, man. I said it in the beginning. Every single day, you can change somebody's life for the better. Every day, like mm -hmm. it's not many opportunities. It's not many ways that you can work in a in a career or have a job where you're able to do things on the small scale, large scale, but you can make a difference in somebody's life. Yeah, it might not be making the news. Mm -hmm. These simple opportunities that you have to support someone, the simple opportunities you have to understand and take time to hear somebody out, to help talk them down out of a, you know, a troubling situation, to help be that, you know, just to be that comfort in their lives. Like that stuff is changing lives every day and we get to do that. That's an yeah. honor. And I'm, I'm, I'm just proud and just fortunate enough to be able to do it. So it sounds like de-escalation skills. Have you used de-escalation skills on maybe another officer or anyone in the public or just on the call uh, while you're out on patrol itself? How, how important, well, we know how important communication is, but how important is it with de-escalation in a situation? Yeah, so much of that. I think, I think it's, again, it's one of those things, right, that we, as, as I learned from veteran officers before me, like, again, so I got, you know, almost 20 years on a job. So I started in the early 2000s you know, 90s officers, officers from the 80s kind of taught me. So these skills have been around for a mm -hmm. long time. This isn't new just because of, you know, yep. the, the civil unrest. Yeah. 
So, you know, being able to know and understand and just one of the most powerful tools that we have that we use most often is our mouth, right? We bumping our guns, right? That's just that way that, you know, it's these situations. You can't fight everybody, right? You can't, you know, always do it, you know, do everything by force. And, and so much being able to coax and convince and, and talk people down into these situations. I mean, it happens so often, but it doesn't get it doesn't always get you know shown or or, or televised or amplified mm -hmm. because if you look at the amount of guns the amount of all of these things that are recovered in chicago by the thousands and every one of that each time we recover a gun that's a possible deadly force you know situation yeah. but yeah. how do we you know be being able to do those things but you don't hear about them because they're not you know they're not hot button issues and so yeah. a lot of these things happen even from the standpoint of mental health right from, you know, talking to somebody who's in crisis, you know, amount of people I've, you know, encountered and I'm sure you've encountered with no clothes on, with, with mm -hmm. knives running down the street. Like, that's not an odd thing, right, as a police officer to see. No, it's but not. But in those situations, what we're able to do and so often is to be able to get that person that ends up walking into that ambulance, laying on that gurney with that sheet over them that, yeah. we get, that we do so often with no force needed, right? And those situations are skills that we just, we learn just over time. And the thing we have to be careful of, right? Especially within young officers is that the rhetoric and those issues that we don't lose sight of that ability yeah. and that natural, you know, skill set that we develop over time with experience because one of the trouble things that's happening with so much that I'm that I'm seeing, I'm, I'm sure across the country, is that we're starting to see a lot of cases where officers are starting to lay down. They're starting to say, yeah. you know, hands yeah. off, I'm not gonna do that. Yeah. And you know, and again, you can be upset with the mayor, you can be upset with the president, but you can't take that out on this lady. You can't take that out on this little kid and say, I'm not gonna protect him. And so in those situations that we got to remember who we work for, right? You don't work for the mayor. You don't work for the city. You work for communities, right? You work for the people. And so remembering and keeping those things in sight that we have to make those sacrifices and we got to do those things, right, to protect communities. And so the risk that's happening is that our veterans are not pouring into the younger officers like they used to. They're not getting those lessons. And so what we start to see is the use of force incidents, especially the, the controversial ones or the excessives, they're younger officers, right? They're younger, like newer on a job that haven't had a chance to understand those nuances in those situations because the vets aren't passing that knowledge down. And so that's just an injustice. I think that if we don't share those skill sets with the younger officers coming up, we're sending them out, we're throwing these guys out to the wolves. And so that's really a responsibility of every veteran to be able to mentor and help coach right that next officer so they can be more effective. So let me ask you this. Um, we talked about a qualified applicants going for the job, and that, that would be those newer officers that could or could not be getting in those troubles. But do you think uh, retention um, with the season and veteran officers plays a lot into it as well, where they 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 don't actually uh, nurture the newer officers because they're looking they're looking to get out. I know a few guys that are looking to get out the door, and they're looking to get out the door quick. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of where it gets to. So a lot of it, you know. Traditionally, like policing was, is, you know, is a profession you get into, you're doing it to the pension. So mm -hmm. I got you for 20, 25 years once I get you into those doors. Mm -hmm. What we start to see, like one of those newer trends is people are not doing this towards pension right anymore, yeah. right? You start to see people coming in, doing a few years, five here. And, and this whole thing, man, it's, 
policing and turned into like free agency in the NBA, man. You got <laughs> other departments poaching other departments. It's yeah. like, man, what is this? Like they giving signing bonuses. Come work to for, come to Vegas, come to Florida. Like, man, it's crazy out here um, in the in, you know in the market. And just because of that, you know, that lack, that shortage, right, of, of police officers, and you're starting to see this competitive thing. I mean, like even our department, we all in other cities, man. We might be down by you looking for some officers, <laughs> you know, to help fill out fill out the ranks. <laughs> um, but you know, just the, you know, that's just the challenge of that, of, you know, of, of getting back. And I think the piece that's missing out of that is really starting to see, um, see our job as the profession that it is, right? Really seeing and going about it in that way. Um, I've even had some talks, right? That from now on, our new our new applicants need to sign a contract for like the amount of time they're gonna work, right? <laughs> because you know, in an agency like Chicago, like we we're a large group, and so the trainings and the things that we provide are are sometimes more in depth than one of the suburban communities mm -hmm. so if i'm in the top suburbs i can get a highly trained officer and just poach them off like from the from you know from chicago police and so you start to right. see things like that happening and you know we're we're investing a lot into new recruits and then for them to ditch us and go you know to a smaller suburb with all that training so it's just so much that we got to really kind of break this down mm -hmm. um and, and start to think about um think about it if really from you know just from a business you know a more corporate perspective like hr like how do you recruit retain like what are those things that you know conversations that officers look for how do you provide those proper benefits because we got to make this job enticing you know exciting like for people to want to do because yeah. it's so important and it's so necessary that if we can't keep our numbers up and we can't effectively you know retain or recruit our officers it's going to make us very ineffective and that's playing mm -hmm. out now in chicago where you know the amount of days off that are being canceled it's typical that you don't get a day off every it takes you about 14 to 21 days to get a day off during the summer just because of the canceled days off and that's wow. not sustainable man that's not you know you can't your mental health oh, the yeah. time you spend with your families like all of these things are going on that it just no. makes it hard for you to do like it gets sometimes during the summer like i can't even find time to wash my clothes like i need uniforms i need a day off so i can do it <laughs> right it's just one of those things that's become so difficult, right to be able to do the job and it really falls back on just our ability to kind of keep our officers and then and and, and also recruit just, just qualified applicants yeah and I, and, and uh, kind of segue again like you were talking about use of force uh with some seasoned officers and some newer officers i've heard uh individuals say that you know um with the way the nation's going, with the way the United States is going, uh, they don't want to get caught up in a, a lawsuit, whether it's criminal or civil or whatever, that they're actually willing to, to take the first hit. And I'm not talking about the first punch in the face. Like they 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 were willing, like, hey, the way it, the way it's gonna look on the news, someone's cell phone or body cam or whatever it is, that they're willing to for the first uh dangerous act to actually go through to a certain degree before they react. And that that could be that you, you know as well as I do that first reaction could be a fatal one or or not even fatal but life altering seriously life altering and it's a shame I understand why some individuals say that I do get it but I mean it's a shame that that level of thinking has to come to play because at the end of the day all of us we all want a peaceful resolution we all have families we all have friends we all want to get back home the same way we left and we want the same the same thing for the individual that we're dealing with and so we all our goal is to have a peaceful for resolution but to actually go to that place in your mind where you're willing to accept some sort of uh injury uh before you react i think that's unacceptable to be honest with you 
Yeah, and I think that's such a danger, right? That comes from rhetoric, that comes from politics, and that comes from so much, right? You have officers that are doing that. We had a situation. This is actually even before. Um, this is before George Floyd, but it was following Mike Brown and a lot of the Ferguson issues. We had a female officer, right, in a situation where um, she was involved in an altercation um, with an offender, and he nearly beat her to death because she was she didn't want to pull her weapon or didn't use force against him because she was worried about what that what would happen or how that would you know affect her family or the job in a situation and it got to the point where you know she was she never she was never able to return back to work because of that situation and that was just one of those things that it's just like ah it's like yeah. how do we get proper messaging out and have the conversation yeah. but again as a professional like a lot of this this is like this is not a job where you just come out and do it this is just like sports, like power. When you, show, when you show up for a game or you show up for whatever in sports, you don't just come out there and play. You're practicing. You're watching film. You're working out. You're studying your opponent. You're understanding things. And the same idea from policing as professionals, we got to do that same work. Um, we got to get out of the space, right, of the emotional reaction, and we got to do be trained professionals. I got to mm -hmm. be able to turn it on and pull yep. it back. Yep. Instant, instantly, mm -hmm. right? And, it, and that comes through from just training and practice, right? Mm -hmm. That comes through the amount of firearms work that we do, like from a mm -hmm. safety standpoint. You know, we, we all know officers who pull a gun out once once a year to go to the range and qualify. Mm -hmm. Handcuffing techniques, being mm -hmm. able to quickly apply cuffs, that right there can eliminate the fight. Yes, you can, can get your cuffs out in those situations. Mm -hmm. And you see a lot of videos in these incidents that occur where you got officers bumbling around with handcuffs and a fight breaks out. Like mm -hmm. these type of skills like helps eliminate a lot of the issues, but it's just that that professional standpoint of understanding and knowing case law, understanding constitutional policing, knowing these things. So when they happen, you can articulate them, mm -hmm. right? You can explain why you're doing things. If you're in a situation and something happened and you use force and you don't know why, and you scratching your head, that's the problem. <laughs> that is a huge that's problem. problem, right? As a professional, these are calculated decisions that mm -hmm. we're supposed to be out there making. And I think that provides confidence, like taking the time to be to know what you're doing, understand your job, understand policy, understand the rules. You grow confidence, right? In order to be able to do it and know how to work through those situations. And I think a lot of that really comes into this idea that we really got to see ourselves as professionals. Mm -hmm. We got to hone skills and we got to work at things to be prepared for those moments. The little ones, the weird scenarios, whatever it may be, the more comfortable we are with those situations, the quicker we're going to be able to respond. Like I learned like just control tactics from the old school cops, how to use leverage, right? Yeah. How to little basic things, right? To keep people from moving around and doing mm -hmm. all these types of things talking to people while you moving at the same time mm -hmm. keep like those basic things like those was one of the the, the basic conversations i would have like you talking keeping their mind going like mm -hmm. saying like hey brother you know in this situation to figure out figure things i don't put these cuffs on you i got the key right here but we're gonna get this situation under control <laughs> and right there no fight we everybody go home <laughs> with those without, without these other situations but it's, it's the conversation and the communication mm -hmm. and being able to kind of work through things that we really got to practice and work on and help to teach the younger officers how to be able, how to articulate the decisions right. that they make right man good 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 interview good interview good answer thank you and right now i know we've been going on for a little over an hour we're going to pause for the calls stand by ladies and gentlemen i got don't go anywhere stand get, get your questions ready i got one more question but we're, we're gonna go to if i can find it quick here we go stand by i got a surprise for you
Hi, I'm Sergeant Be Safe, and I'd like to give you some tips to help you be safe. I'll be introducing you to some helpful options that you can weigh out so you can be safe. Here's my office. I hope you like it. So let's have a seat and begin. So let's say you're riding along. Oh, you get pulled over. Don't be surprised if you see another officer. It's just an extra set of eyes to keep everyone safe. Always keep your hands at 10 and 2 on the steering wheel. I know it's digital age, but always keep a copy of your driver's license, registration, and proof of insurance. Makes things go quicker, easier, and more efficient. So that way we can quickly get you on your way to have a safe day. Alright, I hope you guys like that one. You know, I'm always constantly working on something just to kind of lighten it up a little bit and to kind of provide a little bit of education. Got a, a few more. I need I need some voiceovers. They can't always be mine. So if you're out there and you do voiceovers, let me know. I got a couple videos um, that I haven't posted yet because I, I need different voices in there. But ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you guys for tuning in. We had a very informative live. We had a very fun live and educational. Uh, through the course of conversation, I may have skipped some questions or I may have jogged your memory, uh, Jermaine. Is there anything that you would like to share with us right now? The floor is yours. Yeah, so so in this, again, the, the idea about having this opportunity to have conversation and communication and how important that is, I encourage anybody who's watching to take the time and make the effort to reach out and have a conversation with a police officer, right? Demystify the profession and let's get back on this humanity level, this human interaction level. And because underneath it, you know, dads, brothers, uncles, like we're all those that wear that uniform. And so no different from so many, uh, um, so everyone who's out in, within communities. And so really it is just gonna take us each to start extending that olive branch and reaching out to each other to have these conversations and have these discussions. And I think coming out of that, we're all gonna grow that much closer and we're gonna get to the point where we really need to be as a country, as a society. And it's gonna be through the relationships and through the conversations. There you go, there you have it. Absolutely right, I agree with you. And, and I mean, life is cyclic. So, I mean, things may look a little bleak and bad right now. Good days are on the horizon coming down the pipeline. Hopefully they're here uh, sooner than later, but uh, they're, they're, they're definitely on their way. Uh, Jermaine, thank you for making yourself available. I know um, you got a lot going on uh, during the summertime. I appreciate you sharing your knowledge and your experiences here on the platform. I enjoyed having a conversation with you. I enjoyed learning uh, some of your experiences and some of your, your uh, things that you've learned throughout the course of your career. Thank you for making yourself available. And please, um, you're welcome to come back anytime. <laughs> All right. I appreciate that. Much love, Coach Lee. Appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you guys have a good night. You stay tuned in. We'll have other people coming to the platform. Make sure you guys get your questions ready. We love you. Have a good night. Stay safe. And we will talk to you on the next show. Subscribe now.